0: The reality of who we are is only found in Christ. It is chasing Him with everything that we have. God is more concerned with perspective and He's more concerned with purpose. My deepest awareness of myself is that I am deeply loved by Jesus Christ. Good morning, people. It's so good to see you and have you in the house today. Um, we've got a few in the basement as well. Normally, in the old house in the mushroom, we would yell down into yell out into the other rooms and down in the lobby. But the wall, the floor is so thick here, you couldn't hear them. So we'll just assume that they are with us down in the basement and some folks are online as well. So this is cool. This is, this is our gathered community in COVID. This is great. Um, we are talking about the theme, life in the in-between. And last week we talked about whole gospel and that the whole gospel is the storyline that began before creation with the community of Father, Son, and Spirit, and is going to the, the fulfillment, the restoration of all things, right? And that the resurrection of Jesus is the centerpiece of that. But now we're living post-resurrection in pre-return. We're living post-redemption in pre-restoration. And so we are in this in-between place where we feel the tension of both living eternal hope and present hardship, Right? So God is calling us to live in a certain way in this in-between time, and so that's where we want to go today. Next week, uh, Dave is going to come and share about um, whole world and cultural engagement and biblical worldview. But today, we want to talk about whole life. In the book of James, which is near the end of the New Testament, he is talking about submitting our whole lives to God, taking us out of the center and making sure that Jesus is the center and that everything is about submitting to his lordship. And he gives an example. He says, um, <laughs> "He says, uh, where'd it go? There's... This person who has their life all planned out, and, but their life plan comes with a, a dose of arrogance and self-sufficiency. And they say, um, I am going to move to this city, and I'm going to spend a year there, and I'm going to make some business deals and make a lot of money. And then he says this in James 4, why? You don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. What is your life? Not to get too existential today, but James says it's like a vapor that comes on your glasses when you're trying to talk with a mask on, right? It is that quick. And instead of Big plans. There's nothing wrong with plans. There's nothing wrong with plans in our lives, but God is more concerned with perspective and He's more concerned with purpose. So, when it comes to your life, what is the perspective? What is the purpose? What is your life? Leah and Ashlyn are going to come, and I've asked them just to have a conversation. Around that question this morning. So, if you two would come and share.
1: Hi, my name is Leah. Um, I'm on staff here at Campus House, married to that guy who was just here. Um, and this is Ashlyn. Ashlyn is a junior at Purdue in building construction engineering, and I uh, had the the blessed opportunity to meet her when she was a freshman. And we've done a fair amount of life together in the last 16 or 18 months. And so we just were going to have a conversation in front of you today, if you don't mind kind of participating in that way. Um, Just wanted to ask Ashlyn some questions about her life with God. So just in starting out, Ashlyn, would you be willing to share with us today um, something from your story that has particularly shaped um, your life and your perspective?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So um, as she said, I'm a junior, so I came to Purdue two years ago. Um, and I came to Purdue um, for a lot of reasons, but one of those being to get away from some challenging and really painful dynamics in my family. Um, and so Purdue was absolutely like an escape for me. And so in getting here, I had came with expectations of I'm going to be independent and like I have my own strength and I'm going to like do all these things and reach for all of these things, and um, very quickly realized that, like, in running away to college, I was not free. I was being chased, and I was running away, and I was absolutely, like, not strong enough to fix myself, so um, I found myself, yeah, just kind of at a loss. Yeah. Could you speak
1: maybe even a little more specifically to um, what God has been saying in regards to this part of your story over the last couple of years? Maybe walk us through a little bit of what that has Uh, entailed for you.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So in that, I found myself just like pouring myself into um, like all the practices that I had been taught, right? So I'm praying and spending time with God and and, like reading the word and I'm building relationships with friends, which were all good things, but I found myself still just falling apart. Um, Just again, like at a loss, just at rock bottom and so confused, right? Like if not these things, then what um, would get me there? And the Lord just really started shaping my identity in that. Um, and so he was doing a lot of work in me during that time. And um, so he was breaking ties in my life that I had put my identity in. Some of those were easier for me to handle than others. Um, so like specifically one of those ties was with my family. Like my identity didn't have to be rooted in my family. Um, Cause I came here and it was a fresh start and people didn't know me and I wasn't labeled as that. But then there were some things that were a lot more difficult, like joining this community at Campus House, um, but choosing to not lead worship, and that's what I was known as for my church back at home. Um, and just really feeling the Lord like pull me away from that um, for this season, and I became just Ashlyn, not Ashlyn who leads worship on Sunday mornings, or Ashlyn that we see do this. It was just me, and my only remaining tie was rooted in him alone.
1: Was it easy for you to sort of let go of all of those things that had defined you before? I mean, I know you were a gymnast, and you were in archery, and you were sort of known as this worship leader girl, right, <laughs> all of these things. What what was that like for you? you? The words you've used to me where you felt like those things were being stripped away, was it simple for you to just be like, oh, sure, you know, okay, God, take that, and I'll, I'll be fine over here? I mean, what was, can you, can you speak a little more to God? Oh, what, I that only internal, wish it had
2: been that easy. <laughs> was it pretty, um, Ashlyn? <laughs> no. Um, yeah, so I got angry at God because those were all good things in my mind, right? Like, leading worship, that's absolutely not a bad thing. And I just remember being angry that he was trying to take those out of my life. And so in return, I held onto them tighter, which was not, it hurt a lot. Um, and so walking in that, I just found myself, like, grappling with a lot of fear and anxiety because of that, because I was holding onto these things so tightly while also trying to pursue him, and it just doesn't work for me. Like, you just can't do those at the same time. Um, so I fought with him for control of my own life, um, which I thought that I had, right? Like, I thought I had control, and he was trying to take it away, um... And I felt really vulnerable because I felt like I was losing who I was um, as he was stripping those things away. And so I had noticed that vulnerability in every aspect of my life, and what it took was for me to realize the control that I didn't have, and by realizing the control that I didn't have, um, I was able to like acknowledge and relinquish control to him instead of trying to hold on to it myself, um, which really shaped how I approach this, and so instead of asking, like, God, why are you doing this? It was, God, how? How can I do this with you in my life, realizing that, like, he wanted better for me, better than I knew for myself, and so through that, I just really became dependent on him for everything um, and really tried to just take it step by step, walking in that.
1: And you had grown up in the church. You'd been a part of a church body. You'd been participating in youth groups and worship and all of, all of the good things. And God had certainly been teaching you things about his character along the way. But it seems in the, in the last couple of years, there's been a shift in, in some ways in your actual lived theology. Mm-hmm. There was, as you've described it to me, the way, the way you perceived God as related to all of the things that you were doing has changed now. Could you put some words around that for us?
2: yeah. Um I don't think I realized this cuz growing up in the church it's like your faith is a relationship with God and it's not a religion. Um But in through these experiences I realized I really honestly saw God as an observer in my life. Um that he didn't do anything right like it was my own control and it was my own will, but that he was observing and watching and judging sometimes whenever I did things wrong. Um And through this and through my aware of my need for him, um, I saw him as a friend, someone who wanted to be beside me and to help me. um, And this was a friendship with God looked like. Um, And yeah, in giving up that control, I found a God who was loving and gentle and forgiving um, and just like wanted to be active and hear what was going on and do those things with me. Um, I just remember like, going off to college freshman year, everyone was telling me, like, like, go find yourself, figure out what you're passionate about, what do you want to do? Um, and I tried that and it didn't work. Um, and it wasn't until I was relinquishing that control and not mustering that up myself and that I was just walking and chasing him that I found who I was and who I like, wanted to be with him.
1: Yeah. So in a sense, your, your understanding of God as someone that you needed to please by doing lots of good things right. shifted. Yeah. And you realized that because of who he was, uh, that secured who you were, right? Because of what, did that mean that you stopped serving and you stopped doing things and, and it was just now this life with you and God and we're all good and mm-hmm. it's just the two of us or was there, what, what did that look like lived?
2: Yeah, so I had said before, like, I made the decision to not join the worship team. Um, and so I walked in, feel, um, through healing and that, I found a way where, like, because of my relationship with God and flowing out of that, like, I wanted to serve, but, like, not serve him in a way where, like, he requires that of me, but in a way of, like, I wanted to do those things with him and with my community here. Um, And so I was able to, um, like, build a lot of relationships and just, like, um, put God in the center of those be a good friend through how God was treating me. Um, And he used a lot of friends along the way that I had built here to really speak into that Um, because this process was just a long one, and um, it was really, really great to have him put people in my life to help me walk through that. And then lastly, last year, um, leading a community group was also something that I was really blessed to uh, be a part of, but I found myself approaching it in a completely different way because I was doing it with God instead of, God, look at what I'm doing for you.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because when you've talked about um, all these things that, that you had connected to your identity, all of these doings mm-hmm. being stripped away, um, how painful it was, you've also said it was good
0: life, that there's a different kind of freedom with.
1: there's just a different kind of freedom than you've experienced before so this this gospel that went from being one of performance has become actually good news and um, and I see that I mean I see that in your heart as you desire to share that with people who don't know the good news yet right it's like it, there's something that kind of flows out of that um, out of you to others in a different way now I think and I think that will continue to grow and take shape um, could you maybe just share as we, as we wrap up, could you share kind of what, what your prayer is uh, heading into this next season of your life out of all of this?
2: Yeah, so finding that sense of freedom, um, just like being in situations and putting myself in position to be friends and in community with people who aren't experiencing that freedom has been really big for me. And so... Um, Like, walking through that was absolutely, like, it was a painful process, but the freedom that I get to feel now and that I'm still growing in is something that I want all of my friends and all the people around me to be experiencing. Um, And so I, like, I almost can't help um, with my family and walking through that. And I've been trying to um, learn and grow how to love them well. And um, he's bringing healing, but we're not done. So there's a lot of healing still to come, but there's absolutely, like, a sense of peace because of his presence in that. And so I think like that's just like my prayer for myself is just like, God, like how do I love others? Like my community here at Purdue and my family, like how do I love them well? And just also spending time praying for them specifically that he would be active in their life. Because it took him to change me personally before any of those relationships started to change at all. So yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that this morning.
0: Thank you so much. You want to express your appreciation for the rewards. That would be good. So good. I, I Really, I don't have a lot to add to that except some scripture around it, you know? Um, I feel like the picture of her life that she painted, and, and that's, I mean, if, if Leah made a cake for our son's birthday yesterday, and it has like 2,000 calories per slice, you know? And so that's kind of what this felt like. This is a slice of Ashlyn's life, but it is rich, and it is complicated, and it is, has all of these layers and all of these textures to it. Um, how do you process that question? How do you work through? Where does your mind go with the question, what is your life? I want to just give you a a couple minutes to think about that, you know? And um, I I think it brings out some other questions. Uh, This is a bowl of real fruit. It's not fake fruit like at your grandma's house. Um, This is real fruit. And if we were a painting class, and all of you were looking at this fruit, you would have a very different painting than you would, right? Like, you would be painting grapes and apples, and you'd be painting oranges and bananas, right? I would be having a different perspective than Aaron in the back. And that's kind of how it is when we look at this question of what is your life? And it brings up all of these other questions, Joe, thank you. Who are you? Who determines who you are? Who are you in light of who Jesus is? What do you do? What, why do you do what you do? What is the meaning? What is the purpose of your life? How are you to live this life you've been given? And what does it mean to walk alongside others? All of those connections can be kind of boiled down to being and doing, identity and purpose. Who are you and how do you live this life. Ashlyn talked a lot about just the identity, right? Who are you? Where is our identity placed? She said she was trying to find uh, identity through family and through accomplishments and through uh, independence and even through spiritual gifts and church work, through ministry. She said uh, those are good things, but her life could not be rooted in them. And that reminded me of this quote from Kierkegaard. He says, according to the Bible, the primary way to define sin is not just doing bad things, but it's the making of good things into ultimate things. It's not just doing bad things, but it's, it's taking good things and making them into ultimate things. He says, In, it is seeking to establish a sense of self by making something else more central to your significance and your purpose and your happiness than a relationship with God. Nothing else can define your identity except Jesus. He's the only one who can name you. Who are you? I mean, if we enter into that question, it takes some vulnerability, right? It means taking off the mask that we are wearing on our hearts and on our minds, a spiritual mask, as you keep your mask on. Thank you very much. I was thinking about masks. In uh, every superhero movie, most of them, they're wearing masks, right? And at some point in the movie, someone says, who are you? And they say, I'm Batman, or I'm Iron Man, or I'm Spider-Man, or I'm Buddy the Elf. And so all of those, except Buddy the Elf, they're mask wears, right? Thomas, you didn't think that was funny. I can't see your faces. Come on. Laugh with your eyes. But uh, Thomas Merton said, we are at liberty to be real or unreal. We may be true or false. The choice is ours. We may wear now one mask and now another and never, if we so desire, appear with our own true face. But we cannot make these choices with exemption from consequences. Causes have effects. And if we lie to ourselves and to others, then we cannot expect to find truth and reality whenever we want them who are you? That's a, that's a bit of a moving target. It's the question that the creepy caterpillar asked Alice in Wonderland. Who are you? And she says, I hardly know, sir, just at present. At least I know who I was when I got up this morning, but I think I must have changed several times since then. Brennan Manning says that question invokes, it's a paradox He says, when I get honest, when I am vulnerable, I admit that I am a bundle of paradoxes. I believe and I doubt. I hope and get discouraged. I love and hate. I feel bad about feeling good. I feel guilty about not feeling guilty. I am trusting and suspicious. I am honest, and I still play games. Aristotle said, I am a rational animal. I say, I'm an angel with an incredible capacity for beer. And then he writes this. My deepest awareness of myself is that I am deeply loved by Jesus Christ, and I have done nothing to earn or deserve it. I have been seized by the power of a great affection. Galatians 2.20, Paul says, my old self, my old life has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live this in this earthly body by trusting the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. The reality of who we are is only found in Christ. We've been brought from death to life. We've been brought from slavery to sonship. We've been brought from poverty to abundance. We've been brought From outsider to insider, we are freed from our fear and our shame and our pride and our idolatry because Christ's sacrifice has brought us out of hiding because we are made righteous through Jesus. And so God, when he looks at you, he sees righteousness because he's looking at you through the lens of Jesus. Isn't that cool? Yes, that is very cool. We've been given, given a new identity, and with that comes a new name, and with that comes the gift of the Holy Spirit who is transforming us into the likeness of Jesus. We have been adopted in to God's family. Our youngest is going to turn 19 this week. We got him when he was 10 months old and got to adopt him a couple, of days, a couple of years later. And that day, we went to the courthouse downtown Lafayette. We went to the judge's chamber. And the judge said, you know, I I see so much of just the destruction and the violence and the chaos. I love this. He said, Justin is going to get not just a new family, but he's going to get a new birth certificate. He's going to get a new social security number. He's going to get a new life, a new name. Romans says we have been adopted into God's family through Christ. We've been given a new family, a new name, a new purpose. So Paul says Christ lives in you, and the life you now live You live in and for Christ, who loved you, not just the whole world, but you, and gave himself for you. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, your life is now not your own, (laughs) because you've been bought with a price. And out of that, our response is, therefore, glorify God with your life, which leads to that second a second piece. Who are you, and how are you to live this life that you've been given? And the only response, when you get blown away by the grace of God, it's like the only response is, I'm yours. Holy, devoted to God, what does that look like? Well, a couple things. I think it looks like whole life discipleship. It means moving from independence to dependence on Jesus. Again, Ashlyn talked about that was the shift of moving from I don't need, I can do this, it's up to me, to this dependency and the freedom that comes with being dependent on Jesus. Being a disciple means being an apprentice, one who not only walks with Jesus, but takes on the ways of Jesus. It is a life of listening and responding. It is a life of submitting everything to his lordship. And that includes all of the residual stuff from the fall. Things like our pride and our lust and our um, idolatry and our self-centeredness and our anger and our distrust. We continually submit those things to his lordship, right? But we also submit the stuff that is already being sanctified as well. Things like our attitude, in our will, in our relationships, in our gifts. We submit everything to him. It is a life that is shaped by Jesus, the power and the presence of Jesus, for the glory of Jesus. It is a life that bears fruit. It is a life that makes other disciples, not out of some sort of religious duty or achievement-based compulsion, but out of sheer love for Jesus. I want my friends in on this because there is nothing else that is life-giving. It is all in. It is nothing held back. It is nothing held onto. It is covenantal promise. It is costly commitment. It is chasing him with everything that we have. Matthew 16 says, Jesus says this, if you try to hang on to your life, you're gonna lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you'll find life. It is whole life discipleship. It is also whole life worship. We are created as uh, integrated beings. So it is moving from this compartmentalized kind of life. I will give God this much, but I will take this much. I'll give him this hour, but the rest of the time is mine. I will give him every area of my life except this one thing that I really want to hang on to. It's moving from compartmentalized Christianity to integrated all life in worship. We are created as integrated beings. We have a mind. We have uh, we have emotions. We have um, all sorts of systems and complex mental and spiritual things going on in our lives that cannot be compartmentalized or neglected if we are to live whole lives for Jesus. So the psalmist says, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be holy and acceptable to you. Not just words coming out through a mask, but the actual meditation of my heart, the overflow of my heart Colossians 3 says, since we've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, because you died and now your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then we'll also appear with him in glory. In the meantime, we set our hearts on things above, our emotions, our passions, what fuels you, your motivation, what you get excited about, your heart, and we set our minds on things above your ideas, your philosophy on life, your worldview, your intellect, your thoughts, your mind. Jesus quotes the Shema out of Deuteronomy 6. His version is in Matthew 22. This religious leader comes and says, he's trying to trick Jesus. He says, hey, of all the commandments, what's the most important? Jesus says, well, it boils down to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Everything boils down, everything funnels down, all the prophets, all the law boils down to loving God and loving others. But if you think about it, those two things encapsulate everything about your life. So it's all in. It's all in discipleship, it's all in worship. Christ-filled identity flows into whole life discipleship and worship worship it's also in the context of whole life community. Moving from autonomy, just Jesus and me. It's all that matters. Just Jesus and me. Moves from that to community. I need you. You need me. You need her. She needs you. We are the body of Christ moving together interdependently. You know, Paul talks about you are the body of Christ, and the hand can't say to the, to the eye, I don't need you, and the eye can't say to the spleen, I don't need you. And, and technically, there are body parts that we could do without, right? How many people have had their appendix out? No one. Wow. Wisdom tooth? Okay. You can live without your wisdom tooth, right? We are interdependent, but I was thinking about when I was little, we had encyclopedias, and you don't know what that is, but there used to be books, used to have books, and in one of those books, it was all about the body, is anatomy, and there were these transparent pages that had all of the, the systems. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah, thank you. So you had the circulatory system and you had the nervous system and you laid them on top of each other in the muscular system, and the skeletal system, and all of those had to be present for there to be actual life. So it's not just a hand saying to the nose, I can do without you. It is we are interconnected. We are interdependent. We move as the body of Christ. And so each one of you brings something to the proverbial table. Each of you has not just this purpose for your life. It's not just a purpose-driven life for you. It is a purpose-driven life in community with other Jesus followers, right? So we looked at 1 Peter last week. Here's a really cool verse out of chapter 4, verse 10. Each should use their gift to build up the body of Christ, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. He says, if you speak, speak the very words of God. If you serve, serve with the hands of God. If you do everything for the glory of God, there is an interdependency, Holy devoted to God, wholly devoted to one another. Who you are in Christ, in the fullness of Christ, spills over into everything that it's not just what you do, but it's how you do it and for whom. I was reading through Peter's letter again this, this week, and he has all of these little phrases about who you are. And then he has all of these phrases about how we are to be. Let me, let me just read that list to you really quickly he says, and I'll give you the references later if you want to. We are free, but we are also servants of God. We are called out of darkness into his wonderful light. You are a spiritual house. You are a holy priesthood. You are a people belonging to God. You are aliens and strangers. We'll talk about that next week. You are, and the, but he also says, you be. Be prepared to give an answer for the hope. Be self controlled so that you can pray. Be hopeful because Jesus is coming back. Be holy because he is holy. Be obedient, be clear minded, be loving, be sympathetic, be compassionate, be humble, be hospitable. All of those things funnel down to be like Jesus. And we be we come like Jesus when we are with Jesus. We walk in his steps, Peter says. We mimic what he does. We abide with him. So what is your life? Colossians 3:4. Your new life, which is your real life, even though invisible to spectators, is with Christ in God. He is your life. I want to invite you to keep asking that question throughout this week. Spend some time with Jesus sorting through that question. What is my life? What are the pieces of my identity that I haven't completely surrendered and submitted to him? Am I letting Jesus dictate who I am or something or someone else? What's the meaning? What's the purpose? Where is this thing going? Am I living for myself or am I living for the glory of Jesus? What is your life? Ralph, you want to come and lead us in one more song? I want to As he's coming, I want to um, read one more quote to you. It's by Frederick Buechner. At the beginning of Peter's letter, he says, set your hope fully on the grace of Jesus. And this quote from Frederick Buechner just kind of rocked me this week. He says, the grace of God means something like, here is your life. You might never have been, but you are because the party wouldn't have been complete without you. Here is the world. Beautiful and terrible things will happen. Don't be afraid. I am with you. Nothing can ever separate us. It's for you that I created the universe. I love you. There's only one catch. Like any other gift, the gift of grace can only be yours if you'll reach out and take it. Through grace, we are saved, not just from sin and brokenness, but we are saved for life. We are saved for promise. We are saved for purpose to be a dispenser of grace, to be a proclaimer of good news, to be a member of God's household, to have our name changed by Jesus.